Homily for the Second Sunday of Lent. St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks, March 13th, 2022. The face of Jesus changed in appearance and his clothes became dazzling white. Today's readings use light as a symbol of God breaking through darkness and assuring us of his presence and his saving help. Here at St. Mary's, we literally have before us a replication of one of the most famous works of sacred art from the Italian Renaissance. It is a detail of the top portion of the painting Transfiguration of Jesus, a work by Raphael Sanzio. This man, known the world over simply by his first name of Raphael, died at the young age of 37 but produced numerous masterpieces. We have included this in our sanctuary as one of the luminous mysteries of the rosary, and this event comes up every single year on the second Sunday of Lent. We'll revisit the story in greater detail, but first, let's go back to what our other readings have to teach us. God's call of Abraham and Sarah is one of the most ancient chapters in salvation history. In fact, today's first reading from Genesis comes before God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. No longer would he be known simply as a father. Abraham would eventually, as his new name indicates, be a father of many nations. How this was to happen was a complete mystery, though. He and Sarah were already too far advanced in age, it seemed, to have a child of their own. And yet, when approaching the Promised Land, God already pledged that Abram would be a patriarch with as many descendants as stars that one could count in the sky. What took place in this reading was the sealing of a covenant, a solemn promise that Abram's own people would become God's chosen people. Several times throughout the Old Testament, God entered into covenants either with the nation of Israel as a whole or with individuals. This means that God freely committed himself to a future action. There is none other who could force God to do such a thing. We humans are obviously not equal partners in this venture, but that doesn't deter God from forming covenants with us. We are fickle and become unfaithful, but God remains always faithful to us. What's more, all these prior covenants prepared us for the new and everlasting covenant of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice he offered on the cross, which we recall at every single celebration of Mass. Your being here today affirms that each of you is a part of that solemn promise, His most precious blood has rescued you. And on every Lord's Day, we are taking our place in this covenant relationship. Returning to the first reading, think of animals at this time as a form of currency. God's asking Abram to gather an assortment of animals as the means of an agreement is not something he would consider odd. Although the scene as we picture it in our minds, may be quite odd to us. When two parties divided the valuable carcass and walked in between the halves, it was a declaration, 
that the same should happen to them if they go back on their word. We are told that as he entered into a trance, Abram encountered a deep, terrifying darkness around him. All the more profound was the sign of a flaming torch cutting through the darkness. The light of God passed in between the remnants of the sacrificed animals, as definitive a gesture as Abram could behold. To Abraham and Sarah, becoming parents seemed impossible, but God meant what he promised to them with the utmost seriousness. As for today's gospel, let's examine what the various elements of Christ's transfiguration mean. Among his disciples, the Son of God humbled himself, physically appearing like any man. But on the mountaintop, Peter, James, and John saw that there was far more than meets the eye. And remember that these men had never seen an image projected on a screen, whether a movie, a computer, or any other device. What kind of sensory overload would they have experienced that day, in both sights and sounds? Suddenly, two other men appeared beside the Lord. Moses and Elijah are heroic figures, to be sure, but each one also represents a key era from salvation history. To Moses, God entrusted the leadership of the Israelites from slavery and conferring the law in order to shape how they would conduct themselves and worship God. Elijah was a prophet engaged in dramatic moments in the nation's survival and persistence in their faith. Hence, he brought the witness of all the prophets there along with him. Why did Simon Peter request at that moment that they build dwelling places for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah? He didn't want the sheer ecstasy of what he was beholding to end. Here, before him, was a foretaste of heaven. He would come to accept that it was not for them to stay there and escape the world's troubles. In the lyrics of an old song from contemporary Christian artist Amy Grant, I've got to come down from the mountaintop to the people in the valley below, or they'll never know that they can go to the mountain of the Lord. Now, St. Paul reminded us in today's second reading that our citizenship is in heaven. As I've described it before, the baptized person dwells with one foot in this world and one foot in the next. While we need to realize who we are, and as I mentioned last Sunday, cling to our identity, that doesn't mean we can forsake the work that needs to be done here and now. We need to roll up our sleeves and get busy proclaiming the kingdom. The crowning moment of the transfiguration is the cloud that enveloped them all and the booming voice of the Father declaring, This is my chosen Son. Listen to him. Just as during his baptism in the Jordan, so again the Father manifested his presence and gave ample evidence of the importance of that epoch in the history of the world. But a question remains. Why did Jesus choose to appear transfigured before these disciples? The preface to the Eucharistic prayer at this Mass will elaborate on that for us. Our Lord's arrest and trial 
were not far off on the horizon. Pious traditions held that the transfiguration may have taken place 40 days before Easter, which lines up nicely with the timing of this gospel in the liturgical year. When the soldiers apprehended Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, all heck broke loose. Peter and John came back to Jerusalem eventually, but the rest of the twelve fled. My namesakes, the two Jameses, for example, ran for the hills, who knows where. We don't hear from either one until Easter Sunday. But that's the thing. Except for Judas, who took his life, the eleven came back together when the risen Jesus walked through the locked door into their midst. Those <clears throat> who saw the transfiguration of Christ had that glorious image burned into their memory so that it would abide there during the moments of darkest despair. It would steal their nerve during the scandal of the Lord's passion, reassuring them that in the end, nothing could prevent him from carrying out the Father's will and emerging victorious. We face darkness in this fallen world, but Jesus is the light that not even the deepest darkness can overcome. This Lent, let's pray that we always seek out the light of the Holy Spirit to guide our steps and help all those we meet to grow in faith, hope, and love. Amen.